Can I invite you to open your Bible, please, in Matthew chapter 17, God willing, later in our service, and then this evening, God willing, we'll return again to Matthew 17. Uh, I want to bring God's words to you from this chapter on both occasions today. Uh, in Woodstock, we've been working our way through Matthew for quite some time now, and just a couple of weeks past, uh, we were in Matthew 17, and I wanted to share those sermons with you today. Just to speak to the boys and girls as you're looking up Matthew chapter 17, I'm sure one word that you hear very often is listen. Uh, Mommy and daddy say it to you, I'm sure, in the course of the day, are you listening? Um, If you go out to school, the teacher will say to you, are are you listening? And uh, well, if a policeman stops your mommy and daddy in the car, they'll want to listen uh, to all that's been said. Uh, When it's somebody really important, we should be listening And as I read the Bible for us today, you will be listening, because when we're reading the Bible, it's God speaking to us. And we're going to hear in a very special way today uh, that Matthew records for us what happened on one occasion long ago when God the Father spoke from heaven and he said about his son, listen to him. Now, Jesus isn't here in the world today. He's in heaven now in charge of everything. But when we come to read the Bible... We're hearing the word that his spirit breathed out. And when it's read to you at home and in church, you listen to him. Because he's got much to teach us all today. Matthew chapter 17, just now we're going to read uh, the first 13 verses. This is the word of the Lord. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, And led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun. And his clothes became white as light. And behold there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish. I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, They fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them, of John the Baptist. Turn for Old Testament reading to the book of Daniel, uh, Daniel chapter 7. 
And we read a short portion there from uh, verse 9. Daniel chapter 7. Remember God's servant in the land of exile, in the land of Babylon, and he receives these visions to be a blessing to him and to the church there. Daniel chapter 7, and we hear the word of God again as we break in at verse 9 of this 7th chapter. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. Stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Well, can I invite you to open up your Bible, please? In Matthew chapter 17, as I said earlier this morning, I want to direct your attention to the opening 13 verses. Uh, and God willing, later on this evening, uh, we will come back to look at uh, not the rest of the chapter, but verses uh, 14 uh, to 21. These opening 13 verses can be summarized with just three words, the king transfigured. Matthew's great aim in his gospel is to present the Lord Jesus Christ in all his glory and that his initial readers who are by and large from a Jewish background would know that Jesus Christ is the long-promised king. And some men have a wonderful meeting with him in this passage as we see the king transformed. Many of you, I'm sure, have been up a mountain and you'll agree that it is Quite awesome being at the top of a mountain. The summer passed. My wife and I and our youngest daughter, we were off in Austria on holidays and we went up the, the Kitzenhorn. It's a mountain of about 10,500 feet. What's that about? Maybe three and a bit times uh, sleeve donard. Uh, it was breathtaking, uh, literally. For somebody my age, it was quite breathtaking. Uh, I was glad I wasn't having to hike too much and the cable car took us up. It was beautiful, snow-capped mountains, glistening glacier down beneath us, and a blanket of clouds way down in the valley below. If you've been up a mountain like that, you'll, you'll have had that sensation, we, we really don't want to leave up here. 
that was sort of partly my feeling, my lack of breath and any exertion made I was looking forward to getting back down. But by and large, we were saying, it would just be lovely to see this splendor all of the time. Well, today here in this passage in Matthew, we meet the Lord Jesus and Peter and James and John, and they are having an infinitely more spectacular view than any alpine panorama. You'll see that verse 1 sets the scene for this amazing event. Matthew records, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. If you follow along in your Bible, you'll see quite obviously that chapter 17 comes after 16. And if you look across in your Bible, chapter 16, it's that amazing uh, record of the events of a place called Caesarea Philippi. And Matthew now says it's after six days. After all the events of Caesarea Philippi, then this happened. And just in case you've been doing your Bible reading this morning and you're in Luke's Gospel, somebody might be thinking, I thought I read in Luke's Gospel that Luke wrote that it was after eight days. Well, of course, the skeptics would say to us, there you are, that's just another one of these Bible contradictions. Well, you know the folly of such a statement. Uh, Luke is simply counting inclusively. Uh, and Matthew here with his six days, uh, he's counting just in the days in between. Some people are counting nine days to Christmas or seven days. Well, it's the same sort of principle here. It depends on whether you're being inclusive of the days on either side. So that's when it was, six days after Caesarea Philippi. It's an amazing scene, isn't it? I'm sure as I read it, you had a lot of questions that were coming into your mind. It answers a lot of questions, as we'll see, but it also gives us a lot of questions. What mountain was it? Not told, was it Tabor, was it Hermon, more likely somewhere in Upper Galilee? Or somebody's maybe asking, how did they know it was Moses and Elijah? Don't imagine they came with a little ribbon around their neck with a little plastic card on it. This is my name. It is a rather strange scene. The Lord Jesus takes just three of his disciples on a mountain hike that will change their lives forever. And God's Spirit guides Matthew to give this record. No doubt afterwards they, he found out the details. And it's there in our Bibles for one reason. That your breath will be taken away by the view of Jesus Christ. That's what you should find today. That your breath is just taken away. As you think about him. So let's simply tag along this morning with this little group and behold something of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you will know from the scriptures, the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 13 and 18. That it is as we behold the glory of Jesus Christ that the people of God are transformed from glory into glory. So this passage today, like every passage of the Bible, 
that gets us to think about Jesus Christ should make a change on our lives. If you and I are not different people from what we look at this morning, there's something been very wrong with our preparation. So let's notice here as we look at these words, first of all, the all-glorious one. You need to see him. As I said, this stunning event follows on after the events of Caesarea Philippi. Let me remind you of what had happened there. It is one of those glorious chapters of the Bible. Great things were said that in that location, the apostle Peter had said of the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 16 of chapter 16, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That was his great confession. He was speaking on behalf of all the disciples. After Peter has made his great confession, the Lord Jesus Christ had made the great statements that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He told these men that they would be the very foundation stone of this new stage of his church as it spread out to all the nations of the earth. What a place it was. It was at Caesarea Philippi that the Lord Jesus had made the glorious reveal about what would happen to him in verse 21, that he began to show them how he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And that great reveal of the Lord Jesus Christ about his future destiny of the cross confused Peter, it confused James and John and every disciple. They had just made this great confession. You are the Messiah. You're the long-promised uh, prophet, priest, and king. And now he's told them he's going to die. He's going to suffer terribly at the hands of religious leaders. And the one question that's in the disciples' minds is simply this. Was he the Messiah at all? Was he really who they had come to believe who he was. What he had said had, had dented their confidence. But this event, on the Mount of Transfiguration, would drive away every doubt. We're told in verse 2, And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white, as light. He was transfigured before them. The young people who are doing science in their homeschooling or out at school, you'll know the word that Matthew actually uses here. You know what you've been doing in science about the change of a, a caterpillar into a butterfly? And you've got a big new word that it's been, there's been a metamorphosis. It's metamorphosed from this into this. There has been a a great change, and that's basically the word that Matthew uses to record this change in appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, if you'd met the Lord Jesus at any other moment of his, of his earthly uh, time in those 33 years, by and large, he would have looked to you as any ordinary man. But for this moment... On the Mount of Transfiguration, 
the veil, if you like, was, was pulled back so that Peter and James and John get to see the radiance of the glory of God beaming through. Well, you can't even begin to imagine what this must have been like, can we? We're not told how long the, uh, his appearance was changed for. Matthew tells us that his face shone like the sun. You don't see much of it these days. You remember what it used to be like? And you, you don't ever look at it directly, do you? Matthew's guided to write that his face shone like the sun. What a spectacular seen it was the radiant luminescence of the glory of God shone there before them it's interesting that back at the end of chapter 16 the Lord Jesus had said to them in verse 28 truly I say to you there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the son of man coming in his kingdom well, this wasn't all of what the Lord Jesus meant there, but it was like a little signpost of the glory of Jesus Christ coming even more wonderfully. It was a, a glimpse of the future. It was, if you like, a little glimpse beyond the cross, beyond the tomb. They saw him in his radiant glory. What about those we've loved and lost in the Lord? How is it for them this day? Well, isn't it this? This scene of the radiant glory of the great King of all the earth. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, this is your future. Not a little momentary picture of Christ or vision of Christ, but for all eternity beholding his glory. Did you forget that this week? Well, Peter and John never forgot this. You remember how the Apostle John begins his gospel in John chapter 1, verse 14, he writes, We have seen his glory seen it Peter would write in his epistle that we were eyewitnesses of his majesty can you see why it happened at least something of it they weren't wrong in the conclusion that they'd come to he was the messiah they, they didn't understand it all but he was the messiah and they could take up their cross as the Lord Jesus had told them that they would have to do. For it would be worthwhile for one so glorious. Maybe in your own Christian life this morning. You've just begun to ease back in following him. Just getting by as everybody else. Well have you forgotten? This is the one who saved you. This is the one in all his glory. Who, who, who lived and died for you? Of course, some of us are tempted to think, well, my Christian life would be a lot easier 
if I'd been there, if I'd seen his glory. Well, while that's an understandable statement, it's completely wrong. Apostle Peter deals with that in Second Peter chapter 1 and 19. He, when he says about we were eyewitnesses of, of his majesty, he says also just around there, he says, we have something more wonderful. The prophetic word, this complete picture, in that as far as God would have us know it, hear from his words, to see his glory day by day. Oh, it's a little snapshot, a little picture, a little sample of the all-glorious one. And there's a little side lesson that we should note as well. We learn this and we're reminded of this, that things are never quite as they seem. For everybody else, it seemed that Jesus of Nazareth was so ordinary. And for these men, though they knew he was the Messiah, it just seemed that he was so ordinary much of the time. Well, you go out and to live in a world tomorrow, and you'll meet many people who think nothing of Jesus Christ. They'll use his name as a swear word in conversation. They think nothing of him. But we're reminded today that he's the all-glorious one for you and I to worship, adore, to keep on following. And if you haven't begun yet to following, this is the one that calls you to begin to follow him, to trust him for salvation and live for him every day. He is the all-glorious one. Is that how you think of him? He's the all-glorious king that has lived and died for me. But then secondly, in our passage this morning, we're reminded of the one to focus on. The one to focus upon and listen to. It seems from verse 3 that there was an instant change in the situation. And behold, that's often the way in the Bible, behold, telling us something happened uh, startling and wonderful and just then. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Imagine what it must have been like for Peter and James and John. There appeared Moses and Elijah, and they're speaking to this all-glorious one. This is the Moses who was buried by the Lord, we're told in Deuteronomy 34. And now he's here on the Mount of Transfiguration. You've got another question, haven't you? Was it the same body or a temporary one? Well, in some way, it was recognizable. This is the man who'd gone up Mount Sinai. This is the man whose own face had beamed with the reflected glory of God. And now he's looking straight on at the radiant Christ. A scene. And then there was Elijah, told in Second Kings chapter two that a whirlwind, whirlwind had taken him up to heaven, uh, transported bodily. What a gathering! These two great saints, 
that summarized the law and the prophets. And now they're with Christ, the one that they'd written about. They now see him face to face. It's a little helpful, practical, pastoral thing in this gathering on the mount. It's a little reminder for us today of the reality of heaven. A real place, just as real as this place, where the recognizable saints of God are. Matthew just says that they were talking with him. Luke adds a little detail about their topic in Luke 9, 31. They were talking about his departure. The word is Exodus. What a scene it was. Speaking about his departure. And then the scene is interrupted by the response of Peter to it all. Verse 4. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. You always get that feeling, Peter, can you just not keep your mouth shut for a wee moment or two here? Well, let's think the best of our brother. That's always a good thing to do, isn't it? Luke 9 tells us that the disciples were drowsy and that Peter didn't know what to say. You couldn't fault him on that, could you? You see, Peter just loved the Lord and he wanted this moment to last. You can't fault him on that. But he was wrong, wasn't he? Lord, maybe I could build a few huts and this could just keep on going. Just forget about down in the valley. Let's just make the moment last. He was wrong. For the Lord Jesus had previously told him in Chapter 16 and 21, you'll see it there, that he must go to Jerusalem. There wasn't any other way. And suffer many things from the chief, from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed. And Peter seems to have forgotten all that the Lord had said. And once more then, in an instant, it all changes. You'll see it in verse 5. He was still speaking. Hasn't sort of quite got finished. He was still speaking. When behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Well, can you see what was happening here? The father would have none of Peter's ideas. Lord, if you like, at least Peter was humble enough to say, Lord, if you like, I'll build a little hut, a little tent, one for Elijah, one for Moses, one for you. The father just cuts right across him. You see, Moses was a great leader. Hebrews tells us, doesn't it, that he was faithful in all God's house. And he might need a little hut Yes, Elijah was an amazing prophet. And he might need a little hut. But the father won't have his son put on the same par even as Moses or Elijah. He's different. 
And the voice that boomed in his baptism booms out again. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. What a comfort that must have been. Yes? Comfort to the Lord Jesus Christ in his human nature. He knows all that he is going to have to do. He must go to Jerusalem. He knows of all of the suffering and that he will be killed. And he hears the voice of his father. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Some of you have had your daddy said he did a good job. Fathers, if you don't say that to your children, that's a good thing to say to them. Oh, how it must have been in that perfect human heart of Jesus Christ, the voice of his Father. I am well pleased. This is the path that has been set for all eternity. Well pleased. All that he was doing was rejoiced upon in heaven. The scribes and the Pharisees, they weren't well pleased, but his father was. And what an encouragement for the disciples. What an encouragement. He was God's son. And the thing that they didn't understand and wouldn't understand, this side of the cross and the the coming of the Spirit and all his power, but they were knowing now that he was doing exactly what the father had given him to do. Couldn't see it clearly, but this was what, what they heard. And then Matthew says it was all over. We're told in verse 8, And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And there's something quite important in the way Matthew writes this. Matthew writes here, this was Jesus himself alone. And the message was clear. It was clear for these men, that new stage of the church, this is the core of the new stage of the church going out into all the world. This is the one to look to. This is the one to listen to. How key that would be for the apostles in the days that lay ahead. We look to him. We listen to him. Well, what about you? Is that the ongoing pattern of your life? I look to Jesus Christ. I I listen to Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian. This is the voice of God that says to you, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Have you listened to that word of God that reminds you that you're a sinner and reminds you that there's one way to be right with God through the finished work of Jesus Christ? Listen to him. And for the Christian, 
Is this not how we are to live out our days? Whatever stage of life, you boys and girls, this is how you are to live. Looking to Jesus. He'll never disappoint you. All the friends you could have in the world, they'll let you down. But not Jesus. You can look to him every day. He's faithful. He's reliable. He's dependable. And we are to listen to him. Are you listening? Do you come to church this morning with some great dilemma in your life? Something you have to sort out. Something you've got to do. Listen to him. Many times have you heard in the past week someone tell you about how they sort things out in their lives. Well, I'm just going to go with my gut instinct. Did you ever hear something pathetic in all your life? If I went with my gut instinct, it would be my irritable bowel or my diverticulitis. Wouldn't be a good voice to listen to. Listen to him! Not your heart. Not the opinion of others. But whatever it is that you're facing and have to make your decision about, listen to him. And then finally, in our passage today, we see thirdly, the one full of tenderness and mercy. Who is this one that we look to and listen to? Oh, he's the all-glorious one. He's the only begotten of the Father. He's the God-man, Jesus Christ. And the one on the mountaintop was the good shepherd. He'll tell them once more uh, in this chapter about the depth of his love that he's going to die, verse 22 and 23. And on the mountaintop, he was showing them his love. It was his love, his, his tender compassion and mercy that allowed them to witness this. They said these men were, were the little nucleus. Why did he pick these three men? Well, were they part of that inner team, that great nucleus that's of the church in her New Testament formats? And he's showing them his love and his tenderness. He was the Messiah. And what love for Peter? Peter, yes, had made his great confession, you are the Christ, the, the Son of God. But you remember what had happened after that? When Peter had said about Jesus Christ, oh no, you'll not be going to the cross. And the Lord Jesus had to say to him, get behind me, Satan. Well, how would you have felt after that? And the tender shepherd has taken the foolish Peter up the mountain to see his glory. In tenderness, he has dealt with Peter's foolish ideas about the little tents. He'd got it completely wrong. Isn't that an interesting thing? This great disciple got it completely wrong. I think it's a little helpful thing in that for us. It's very possible for disciples of Jesus Christ to get things completely wrong. Haven't you? I asked you to put your hand up. We put all of our hands up, wouldn't we? Here's this disciple that he got it completely wrong. And the Lord didn't cast him off. The Lord dealt with him in great tenderness and mercy. The voice of the Father from heaven. It had the right effect in these men, didn't it? Verse 6. 
When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. This holy terror came over them. It was God who'd spoken the cloud. Did the good shepherd leave the disciples terrified and lying there? No. It's full of tenderness. We're told in verse 7. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. Can you see that? These men, distraught, overcome by all of this, and the tender touch of Jesus Christ is upon their head or shoulder, wherever it was, he came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. You see, it was the sense of his presence and the steadfastness of his word that these terrified disciples needed. They they didn't need to fear. He was right there with them. They didn't need to tremble. He was right there by their side. Now what of you today? Unknown to everybody else, do you come with a, a barrel load of fears and trembling? About your circumstances in life? About the future? Listen to him. Listen to him. He says to you, disciple, this morning, rise and have no fear. Keep your eye on me. I'm with you. You have my word for every day. What tenderness the Lord showed to his disciples, even when they were coming down the mountain. Verse 9 and following, they've got lots of disciples. He's great tenderness towards them. You remember, he's going to the cross. And he tenderly deals with all their, their questions that they haven't sorted out. He tells them in verse 9, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Why did he say that? Well, simply this, because he loved them and he loved you. Because he was determined to go to the cross right, through, right up to this in Matthew. Matthew has been dealing with all of the, uh, the way the crowd were treating Jesus Christ. And some of them are wanting to make him king by force. And Jesus is saying, no, I must go to Jerusalem. I have a great host to die for. You. Me. Oh, what tenderness with our Savior Jesus Christ. And in their confusion, the disciples seemed to know what the scribes said in verse 10. Why did the scribes say that Elijah must come? They had misunderstood Malachi chapter 4. The Lord deals with that. Oh yes, Elijah must come. And he's come in John the Baptist. And they did to him whatever they wanted. And they will do to me the same. Oh, what tenderness. Again with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know him as that glorious, tender saviour? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What a glorious king. And you and I get the privilege to serve him. Some of you at school. Some of you at home. Some of you going out to work. Some of you retired. 
and we serve this glorious King. And at the end of our day, we'll be taken up the Mount of Heaven and we'll join that company who already see him and we'll see him forever and ever. Well, many don't see the glory of Jesus Christ just now, but the Bible tells us that one day every knee will bow. Will you be ready for his appearing? Amen. Father, we give you thanks for this record of this incredible event. We thank you, Father, that it's just but a little foretaste of what lies ahead for all who know and love Jesus Christ, beholding his glory in heaven. We ask, Father, that as we go out to live for you in the world, we would live as men and women who've met with Jesus Christ. We pray that our experience every day would be seeing more of his glory in the word and that we would be shaped by it. Father, thank you for the tenderness and the love and compassion of your glorious Son for his children. Lord, you know the needs of those who are here and those who need to know and hear that voice rise and have no fear. All is well. Our glorious one, Jesus Christ, is on his throne. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ And the love of God and the fellowship of God, the Holy Spirit, be with you all. Amen.